We're glad that you've made the decision to be with us today. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. I do want to take this time to express appreciation to all who are here today that have been blessed with bringing children into this world. What a great blessing it is to be a mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother. We may have all present today. I'm not sure who might be present today that is a great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother, but I suspect we probably have one or two. But we are glad that you're here, and we're thankful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God, and to think about things which are spiritual in nature. We're going to be looking today at the book of 2 Timothy, and I would invite you to look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1, the passage that was read just a moment ago. I want us to think for just a moment or two today about the greatest inheritance we can leave our children. I want to begin by saying the greatest inheritance that we can leave our children is not a home or land, money, automobiles, etc. The greatest thing that we as parents can leave our children is faith in the Lord. That really is what being a parent's all about. Rearing our children in the Lord and leading them in such a way so that one day they are people of faith and that they can pass on that faith to future generations. I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to also look at chapter 3 as well, as we think about the greatest inheritance we can leave our children. We begin by talking about the development of faith. Paul, of course, is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is his own true son in the faith, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 2. As you think about the development of Timothy's faith, there were a number of forces at work in leading him to become a New Testament Christian. Paul makes an inspection of his faith, so to speak. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 3. He said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, he said, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, is in you also. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he could look at the life of this young man and he could see that he was a person of faith. Now, Timothy was a product of Paul's teaching. But you have to understand that there were some other instructors that laid the foundation for Paul to lead Timothy to Christ. And so, having said that, note again verse 5. Paul brings to mind the faith that dwelt first in his grandmother Lois. And then he said, in his mother Eunice. And then he goes on to say, and am persuaded is in you also. Isn't that something? Here was Timothy, 
And he had these instructors in the home leading him in a study of the Word of God. I want, to, I want us to think for just a moment or two about a couple of things along these lines as we think about the instructors of his faith. First of all, note when Timothy was taught. Over in chapter 3 at verse 15, Paul would say, and that from childhood, or from a baby, you have known the Holy Scriptures. The word child or childhood or baby, as some translations render it, carries with it the idea of a child, whether in or out of the womb, which says to us that God deems that child that is unborn as a human being. But nonetheless, when Paul writes to Timothy, he recalls the fact that at a very early age, as a baby, Timothy was being taught. Children are like sponges, aren't they? It's amazing to me how quickly the mind of a child develops. You bring that newborn into the world and you, you just watch him or her grow. And that little baby just soaks up everything. We talk about Bible class. And many times at about three months, a child will be placed in what's called the cradle roll. And there are some basic things that are conveyed to that child. Why is that? Because we believe that at a very early age, children can learn. Now, we talk about when Timothy was taught, but note if you would what he was taught. It takes two. The Bible says, and that from a baby, or that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I believe that Timothy's mother and grandmother were of Jewish descent. And back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God had instructed the children of Israel to teach their children diligently the word of Almighty God. That's exactly what Timothy's mother and grandmother did. They taught him the truth of God. They spent time instructing him in the principles of Scripture. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As a parent, as a mother or father, we have the opportunity. It's a privilege, really, of rearing our children with a working knowledge of the Word of God. We talk about teaching them the ABCs, teaching them to count teaching them a number of things that are important about life. But let me tell you what, there is no greater thing you can teach your child than Scripture. When you begin laying a foundation in the life of your child, you need to begin laying that foundation with the Scriptures. Teaching them, this is the Bible. This is God's holy word. This is the book that will guide you throughout life, and I might add, it will safely guide you from earth to heaven. The psalmist in the long ago 
said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway in Psalm 119 at verse 105. And so Timothy had the opportunity to sit at the feet of a godly mother and grandmother. We talk about how the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Look at the contributions godly women have made down through the ages. Here is Timothy, the product of a godly mother and grandmother. They had laid the foundation, and so when the apostle Paul came along, he could, have, he could have shown Timothy that the Messiah that had been foretold of in the Old Testament scriptures, that he has indeed come. And Timothy embraced the faith and became a child of Almighty God. There's a second thing I want you to see. We talk about the development of faith, but then what about the demonstration of faith? As I think about the demonstration of faith, First, there is the ideal. What are the ideals of faith? Well, listen again as Paul writes in verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, is in you also. The ideal or ideals of faith is that Timothy would be educated in the word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Timothy was a young person of faith. That faith was a result of hearing what God said through his word. First of all, Timothy had to become a student of the word. Over in chapter 2, Paul would say, Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. When he emphasizes reading there, there's the importance of reading and meditating on God's holy word. You remember Isaiah in chapter 34 of his book said, seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Whether young or old, black or white, rich or poor, we can sit down and read and study the scriptures, can't we? As a young person, we can sit down and we can become a student of God's word. I think it's noble for children to want to make A's and B's in school, to do well, to prepare themselves for professional life down the road. But let me tell you what, the greatest thing you can prepare yourself to do is to be a servant of Almighty God. And you do that by being a student of the word. Now, not only was Timothy to be a student of the word, but he was to share the word. Think again about what Paul is saying here. He said, this faith dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and then he said, in your mother, Eunice, and now he said, I am persuaded in you also. What was going on there? The handing down of faith. From generation to generation to generation. One of the things that I am grateful for is that I grew up in a home that believed what the Bible taught. I'm thankful to have had the opportunity to have been reared in the church. I'm grateful that at an early age I became a New Testament Christian. How did all that happen? Somebody had to teach me, didn't they? 
If you're a New Testament Christian today, whether young or old, somebody had to take the time to share the word of God with you. Paul would say, the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these also to faithful men, that they may be also able to teach others. All Paul is saying there is, you take what you have heard and you convey that to other people. Why is that? Because that will ensure that future generations are taught. We have the opportunity to be a child of God. We are to be a student of the word and then we must share the word. Look at Noah. Do you think Noah was a successful preacher? The Bible tells us eight souls were saved during the days of Noah. Now there are a lot of people that would say that was an unsuccessful ministry. But think about it this way. He saved his household, didn't he? If we do nothing more than save our own family members, then we've done something. I mean, we would like to save others. We'd like to see others become New Testament Christians. But to think that we have the opportunity to share the gospel with our family members, they can become Christians. And then as they have families of their own, they can share that faith. And then as those children learn and obey the gospel and grow up and get married, they can do the same. There is the perpetuity of faith. Now, not only do we think about the ideal of faith, but there is the immovability of faith. Timothy was to be committed to the Lord. Note, if you would, what he said in verse 13. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said, Hold fast the pattern, the form of sound words, which you've heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Now, just think about that for a minute. Timothy was to live a life of commitment to the Lord. He had been educated about the Lord. He was to be an example of the Lord. He was to show himself as a New Testament Christian to others in the world about him. And now Paul is saying to Timothy, look, I want you to live a life consecrated to Almighty God. You begin by holding fast to God's word. We live in a day and time when many people don't respect the Bible. They don't even, they don't even believe what's recorded in scriptures. And the byproduct of that is we're living in a culture among people that says there are no absolutes. There is no divine standard. What Paul is saying to Timothy is there is a divine standard. That divine standard is scripture and what you need to do is hold fast. You need to adhere to what is recorded in the Bible. So he was to be consecrated to the Lord. Do you remember when he wrote his first letter to Timothy, he would say to wage a good warfare in chapter 6, he would say, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on life eternal. Paul is telling Timothy, look, living the Christian life is a battle. When you decide to become a New Testament Christian, you are you're at war. It's a spiritual war. What you've got to try to do is live above the world, to be consecrated to the Lord, to live a life of commitment. 
What is it that's going to ensure that future generations are taught and grounded in the truth? Well, we've got to have a good foundation as a member of the body of Christ. Timothy had to have a foundation. And then he had to build on that foundation. Then he had to begin sharing his faith with others. It all, it all tied together to his commitment or consecration to the Lord. And then he was to be careful in the Lord. What are some of the challenges that young people face today? When Paul wrote to Timothy, he would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, to flee youthful lust. In chapter 5, verse 22 of 1 Timothy, Paul would say, keep yourself pure. I think about some of the things that our young people face today. The things that you face, look, I had to face them too. There are a lot of things that are going on in our world today. There are a lot of temptations, a lot of things that, that are thrown at you. Sometimes you're, you're ready to battle those things. Sometimes you're not prepared. Look, look at the forces in the world. The Bible talks about not being conformed unto the world. What the world's trying to do is pour you into its mold. What the devil wants you to do, sell out. Give in. Alcohol. Chemical substances. Whether it be marijuana. Ecstasy. Cocaine, meth. There are a lot of different drugs out there that young people are being tempted to try. Some young people try any number of drugs and sadly become addicted. And then the sexual pressures. There are a lot of folks in our world today, a lot of young folks, that, that have been sold a bill of goods regarding sex. It's not biblical. Premarital sex, according to Scripture, is sinful. When, when I think about the things that we ought to be praying for for our children, we ought to pray that they will stay away from evil associations, drugs, alcohol. I know alcohol is a drug, but I typically separate them. Premarital sexual relations, the world at large. There are so many forces that our children are facing. And think again about what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy... You flee those youthful lusts. You keep yourself pure. I promise you, God values purity. God not only values purity, He will reward purity. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the destiny of faith. As we think about the destiny of faith, let me call attention to the importance of faith. How important is faith in the lives of our children? Well, here's what the Hebrew writer said centuries ago. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. We understand. If we're going to please Almighty God, we have to be people of faith. I want to ask two questions. 
Two questions. Number one, will our children be people of faith? Listen again to what Paul said. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. That's Timothy. Which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Two times in that one verse, Paul emphasizes the personal faith of Timothy. And then in chapter 3, verse 15, and that from a baby you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Paul is saying is Timothy was a child of God. He was a person of faith. What about our children? Is it not the case that we have the responsibility of teaching and instructing our children in the faith? If our children are not people of faith, whose fault is that? Now I understand that children have the, op the opportunity, the ability to make choices in life. Some children decide to become New Testament Christians. Some decide not to become New Testament Christians. We have no control over the decision processes that they go through in this life, especially as they get older in life. But we can lead them and point them in the right, in the right direction. Solomon said, train up a child when he is young. When he is old, he will not depart from it. The idea is to teach them, to school them, to instruct them to lay that foundation when they're young. And hopefully and prayerfully, they will be people of faith. So number one, will our children be people of faith? Number two, will they be people of faithfulness? I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to down through the years that have lamented to me concerns over the, spirit, the spiritual well-being of their children. I wish I could tell you the number of people that I've talked to. And many times, the people that I've talked to are well up in years. And they are in agony because they taught their children the truth of God. They laid that foundation. They had them in Bible class and worship. They encouraged them to be a part of the youth group. They did everything humanly possible to lead them to Christ, to give them the right foundation. But for whatever reason, their children left the Lord. That is a heartbreaking thing. And many times parents will, will ask the question, what did I do wrong? What could I have done? What should I have done? And I often say, we have to understand, number one, that our children, as they grow older in this life, they begin to make choices on their own. We have no control over those choices. We hope and pray we've prepared them well, we've laid a foundation, and that they will make the right choices. Sometimes, sadly, they make wrong choices. And with every action, there is a corresponding reaction. And there are consequences to our actions. And sometimes our children make bad decisions and they suffer immeasurably. But the second thing I would say is this. If as a parent you did your best, don't beat yourself up. 
You did your best. That's all God expects. Now, can you continue to pray for your children? Yes, you should. Can you encourage them? Yes, and you should. You can be an example before them. But as we think about the importance of faith, number one, will your children be people of faith? Number two, will they be people of faithfulness? The church of the future is in the hands of our children. That's why it's so important for us to teach and instruct our children because one day these are the ones, these young people, they're going to be the leaders of the church. They're going to be the ones leading the way. And then I want to think about the inheritance of faith. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about the inheritance that is before us. He said, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, it's reserved in heaven for you. Did you know you have an inheritance if you're a child of God? I want to ask you this question. As we talk about the inheritance of faith, what do you plan to leave your children after you're gone? I know that's a personal question. But what are you planning to leave them? Have you made a will? Have you seen an attorney and just sat? Have you, have you had the opportunity to just sit down and itemize what you have? And in the itemization of your physical assets, have you determined what you're leaving your children? What are you going to leave them? You're going to leave them a lot of money? You're going to leave them some land? Maybe you're going to leave them a home or maybe two homes. A vacation home. You're going to leave them a boat? What about some automobiles? What are you going to leave your children? Let me say this. All of us have probably been blessed in days gone by to receive an inheritance from a family member that's died. The greatest thing you can leave your children, it's not money, it's not a house, not clothes. It's not anything materially. The greatest thing you can leave your children is faith in the Lord. That is by far the greatest thing you can leave them. So when I ask the question, what are you going to leave your children after you're gone? Hopefully and prayerfully, you'll leave them faith. But here's a second question. Where will your children be after they are gone? See, it's one thing to ask the question, what are you going to leave your children after you leave this earth? But secondly, I want you to think about where will your children be after they leave this earth? Please listen very carefully. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he was writing to a young fella that had the privilege of growing up in a godly home. And Timothy was pointed in the direction of heaven. And Paul talked about the end of life and the hope that was before him. One day, whether you like it or not, as a, as a parent, as a mama, as a daddy, as a grandparent, whatever the case may be, unless the Lord comes first, guess what? 
We're going to face death, whether we like it or not. We're going to leave our loved ones behind. And everything that we have in this life, it's staying behind. Paul said, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We came into this world with nothing, and we will leave with nothing. Job said, naked came I into this world, and naked shall I depart. But here's, here's the really important question. Where will your children be after they are gone? As a mom or a daddy, please pay close attention. If your children aren't in Bible class right now, if you've got little babies, little sons and daughters, if they're not in Bible class, they need to be in Bible class. If you've got small children and they're not in worship every first day of the week, they need to be in worship every first day of the week. If you've got small children and you're not teaching them the word of God, the clock is ticking. You better be teaching them. As our children grow older, that clock continues to run. And before you know it, they're grown and gone. It happens so quickly. You see, when that child is born... It's a whirlwind. Greatest thing in the world. And it seems like forever until they get older. But then once they get older and they're gone, you look back and you think, just like that. Just like that, they're gone. One day, our children, they're going to be in eternity. And I have said this before, and I believe it to be the case. Where you are in eternity is in all probability where they will be. If you don't make it, they're probably not going to make it. If you make it, they probably will make it to heaven. Where are your children going to be after they leave this earth? The greatest inheritance we can leave our children, it is faith. Let me tell you what, as a parent, the single greatest or the single most important thing to me as a parent is to be with my child in eternity one day. That to me is what would make my life complete for my family to be in heaven. Will your family be in heaven? Will you as a mama, will you be in heaven? Will your children be there with you? Will your husband be there? As a father, to those of you who are daddies, you gonna be in heaven? You're going to lead your wife to heaven? Are you, are you the spiritual leader in your home? Are you what you ought to be? Are you going to live in such a way so that your children will follow in your footsteps that they'll be in heaven? Serious stuff. I hope and pray that you choose wisely. Live right. Live righteously. And lead your children to a home in heaven. Would you pray with me?
Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the privilege of being your children, for the opportunity to read, to study, to think about things which are eternal in nature. We give thanks for the family. We're thankful for our mothers and fathers, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, brothers and sisters. And Father, we're thankful for our church family. And we're grateful that we can live in such a way so that one day heaven will be our home. Help us, Holy Father, as parents to lay the right kind of foundation so that one day our children will have that inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that is reserved in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, could I encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that he is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Could I encourage you to repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess the name of Jesus before others, Matthew 10, 32. To be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And if you'll live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life. Maybe you're here today, you're not what you ought to be as a mama, as a daddy, as a grandparent. Could I encourage you to come home? Could we pray with you and for you with the assurance that God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing?